Well, if you want to turn to Exodus chapter 14 for our Bible reading tonight, it's on page 71. So Exodus chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. This is God's word. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and camp near Pi-Hahirath, between Migdal and the sea. They are to camp by the sea, directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their mind about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Hahirath, opposite Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, It's because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die. What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other. So neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud 
at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He made the wheels of their chariots come off so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. And then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their left and on their right. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Well, if you've got a a Bible handy, uh, do turn back to Exodus chapter 14. Let's pray uh, for the Lord's help as we hear his word. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you tonight asking that you would speak to us through your word. We pray that we might know you better that we might know more of the hope to which you've called us, what is the immeasurable greatness of your mighty strength towards us who believe. Father, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're finally out of Egypt, and the Israelites are marching along, a mixed multitude of them, um, Israelites and some Egyptians, uh, a great crowd of adults, children, and some who who can't walk very well. Uh, Sheep and cattle and all kinds of other things as well. They're marching along boldly, we're told. Uh, Presumably they're they're so pleased to be finally out of Egypt. And then they look up, and on the horizon is a cloud of dust as they see 600 of Pharaoh's best chariots, each armed with three men bearing down on their camp. Panic strikes. It's terror on every side. Have a look at chapter 14, verse 10. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us into the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert. Israel is having a crisis of faith on on a pretty epic scale. And you can understand that, can't you? And so uh, the servant of the Lord, Moses, shouts above this panic, verse 13, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the salvation of the Lord 
today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Well, I'm sure we've all had our moments when we've had crises of faith. Maybe not quite to that level, but maybe. Maybe some of us have cried out, Lord, why have you brought me to this place? Maybe some of us have said, Lord, it would have been better if you'd have never even begun this. Have you really brought me all this way only for me to die emotionally, spiritually, physically, whatever it is? I'm sure we've all felt that that experience of seeing, if you like, the armies of the Egyptians, seeing the problems that confront us, seeing concerns that just won't go away, seeing ourselves trapped on every side, surrounded, and no way of escape. And so tonight, as we read this passage, I hope we'll hear the Lord shouting to us as loud as he can, above all the din of all of our fears, saying, trust me, trust me, I'm a great saviour. There's two big things that we're going to see tonight that will help us to trust the Lord whenever our crises of faith come. Uh, Firstly, the Lord's agenda, and then secondly, the Lord's action. So let's have a look at the Lord's agenda firstly. Uh, It's important for us to see that this, this terror is not a surprise to God. Um, We read this morning um, from chapter 13. Uh, So just flick over the page to verse 17. And we're told that when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through Philistine country, although that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went out of, up out of Egypt armed for battle, or in groups of 50 by 50, sort of battle lineup. So there's this strange thing where the Israelites are going out of Egypt in this battle lineup, but they're not ready for battle whatsoever. The Lord knows that. These people are, are, are in danger of, if they see any kind of battle, they're just going to head the other way. They're in no position to fight for themselves. The Lord understands that. And it's really important for us to understand that. As these people are leaving Egypt, these are really broken people. Their years of slavery have had a toll on them emotionally, psychologically. They're they're damaged, we would say today, in all kinds of ways. In the gentlest possible way, we'd say these are people who need a lot of help. And the Lord knows that. And so, as these people leave Egypt, leave Pharaoh's clutches for a new life with the Lord, It's now time for him to start to disciple them. He's going to try to help them. And um, the first stage of that is this battle. Um, We're told in chapter 14 that the Lord has really set this all up very deliberately. He tells them to turn back and to camp in in this location near the sea. And that's going to make uh, Pharaoh think that the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, verse 3, hemmed in by the desert. And so the Lord says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them, verse 4, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And so the Israelites did this. The Lord is seeking battle on his terms so that he can get glory through Pharaoh's army, so that he can show the Israelites what kind of a God he is. 
And so this is the Lord's agenda for this battle. It's a teaching moment. It's a discipleship moment to help these Israelites on their journey. And it's very easy in the sight of all of their troubles to miss that, that this is the Lord's doing. This is his agenda. And before we, before we think about applying that to us, I just want to pause for a moment because this is a really pivotal moment in the whole book of Exodus. Um, here we are crossing over from Egypt into the wilderness, essentially. And as we're doing that, we're crossing over into a big new section of the book of Exodus. So, so far, all of Exodus we've been thinking about under this title of God rescues. All of these events that are happening in Egypt are God working powerfully on Israel's behalf, doing something for them to rescue them. But now in this episode, we're sort of still doing that, but now we're beginning to cross into the the next phase of the story of the Exodus that we're going to be thinking about over the next month. And we're calling this God Rules, this journey through the desert to Sinai, where God gives his commandments. And what this part of the story of the Exodus is going to be about is it's still going to be about salvation. But it's not so much about God uh, doing something for the Israelites. Now he's going to be at work in them. He's actually going to be discipling them, training them, teaching them to trust him again. And so actually, as I've been thinking about this, maybe we'd have done better, and I have to apologize, these are my titles, maybe we'd have done better to have said God restores his people in this second bit of the Exodus. So God rescues, and now we're going to see over the next few months, or next month, God restoring his people. Okay, so that's where we are. So that's important to recognize, because what's true of Israel on their journey with God is also true of us. This morning we were hearing about the Passover and how the people of Israel took those spotless lambs and slaughtered them, putting the blood on the doorposts so that the destroying angel would pass by. And, of course, that is a great pointer, as we were were hearing this morning and in Life Builders, of what the Lord does for us through Jesus. He is the great Passover lamb. He's the one whose spotless blood we take to ourselves so that the the Lord will not have to judge us for our sins, but will pass over us because of his sacrifice for us. He is the lamb who takes away our sin. So that's what the Lord does for us. And if, if the Passover points to that, well, the Red Sea, if you like, points more towards Jesus' resurrection and his victory over evil. As the Lord rises again, so he brings with him a new life for all who trust in him. And that new life begins to work itself out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And so that's what this Red Sea episode is is pointing us to. It's pointing us to this new life that God gives us through Christ. Salvation is not just about what happened to Jesus back then on the cross, although it is gloriously that, but it's also about how that life that Jesus won for us works itself out in our lives today. It's about what God does for us in here as well. It might be interesting to know, I've not double-checked this, but I've been told by a few people that the most number of verses from the Old Testament that apply to Christians in the New Testament are verses about this time in the wilderness that we're going into. Christians, if you like, are wilderness people. We're on that journey. We haven't yet reached the land of milk and honey. We're in this phase where God is discipling us, teaching us to trust him. That is the Lord's agenda for us now. 
the Lord's agenda is not very simply to bring us out of troubles, but rather to work with us in our troubles so that we learn to trust him. I think it helps when, when we're struggling, doesn't it, to, to know that, at least a bit, to know that the Lord is actually discipling us in all these difficulties that we face, all these things that make us afraid. The Lord's got an agenda. He wants to teach us to trust him through it. The Lord's not expecting that we'll sail through life. He's expecting that we will, in fact, sometimes panic. But he brings us into these situations to teach us to trust him. So that's the Lord's agenda. Secondly, we need to see the Lord's action. And I'm calling this the Battle of the Red Sea. Uh, So let's have the situation map up. Thank you. There we go. That's That's the style of the battle. And the battle proceeds over four phases. And we're going to trace these through. So the first phase is taking place at night. Flick over to chapter 14, verse 19. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Now, we've seen the angel of the Lord or the angel of God already in Exodus. Do you remember in Exodus chapter 3, we heard about the angel of the Lord coming down in flames of fire in the burning bush, speaking to Moses, commissioning him. And um, now it seems that this angel of the Lord is specially present in this pillar of cloud and fire that's going before the Israelites because they're both moving at the same time. Um, So we need to stop for a little second and just think about this angel of the Lord. We need to recognize that this is not an ordinary angel. This is not like a sort of supercharged angel, like Michael the archangel or something like that. Because this angel doesn't just say, this is what the Lord says. This angel says, I am the Lord. I am who I am. And I want you to go and lead my people. This angel speaks as God, not just on behalf of God. And so most Christians throughout the centuries have wanted to say that this angel is not just an angel, but is in fact representing God and representing a specific person of God. Who is the person of God who is from God, but is God? The Son of God. And so Christians have tended to say that the angel of the Lord is representing Jesus before he comes in the flesh coming even in the Exodus to lead his people out of Egypt. And now we hear the first phase of this battle, the angel of the Lord moves in this pillar of cloud and fire to go and stand behind Israel to shield them from the armies of Egypt. And there's this light and darkness, and it's not quite clear, but it's probably the case that Egypt is left in darkness while the angel of the Lord shines this light on Israel. We saw in the plagues that Egypt is left in darkness at a certain point. And what this is doing is buying time, essentially, um, for the next phase of the battle. So let's see what happens next. Uh, Verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. So the Lord, secondly, creates a way through the sea. 
Now, some of us will be asking at this point, well, sounds a bit strange. Did this really happen? And this came up a little bit this morning in Life Builders as we were thinking about some of the, the plagues. Did these things really happen? Well, this, this particular episode, for some reason, tends to get more people than, than some of the other ones saying that it maybe didn't happen just this way, or at least this is a kind of like a natural kind of event. And the reason people often sort of say that is you can see in your footnote in your Bibles that literally the Red Sea is, is the Sea of Reeds. And so people start thinking, well, okay, if it's a sea of reeds, then it's maybe kind of quite marshy, where reeds grow, it's quite a shallow sea. And so maybe you could imagine how, you know, a bit of wind might sort of create a bit of a, a dry ground, sort of a bit more easily. But I don't think that works as a simple reading of this passage, because it does suggest that there's these walls of water either side of the Israelites as they march through, enough water to eventually cover the Egyptian army. This is a, a proper sea that is being parted by this act of God. And so we are into the realm of miracles, I think, and we'd need more time than we've got tonight to, to really get into that topic. Maybe another time we'll be able to think about miracles in general. But just one thought as we try and hear what God is saying here. And that is this. If the creator of the universe is at work in our world, then it it's not that difficult to believe that he would be able to order this world as he wants, to create extraordinary events uh, to do what he wants. And I don't think that's a total kind of rabbit out of a hat because this passage does, in fact, draw attention to creation. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 1, we hear at the very start of the Bible how the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters, like a kind of... um, a bird hovering over its eggs, we're told. And then we hear about how the waters get separated and dry land appears. Well, that is what's going on here. Wind and spirit are the same words. So we can read this as saying that the spirit comes, that God sends this spirit, this wind, that separates the waters, creating dry ground. So this is like a kind of a a new creation event going on here. God is parting the waters to create this new way through the sea. The wind of God is bringing new life and a new future. And so we're told that by faith, the people pass through the Red Sea as on dry land. That's from Hebrews 11. Well, that leads us then to phase three in the battle And it's now early dawn, verse 23. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, or very early in the morning, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He made the wheels of their chariots come off so they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. So the, the Egyptians recognize that the Lord is fighting for God's people. And they try to reverse, maybe they get their wheels stuck in the mud or something like that. And then comes the final decisive phase of this battle, verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. 
Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. So as the darkness disappears, as the day dawns, so salvation comes. As the Lord acts to fight for his people, he bears his arm and strikes the army of Egypt off the face of the earth. Salvation comes, and it comes through judgment. And this is a big lesson that it would be easy to to move past too quickly. But if Exodus is teaching us what salvation looks like, this is an important thing we need to see. Salvation comes through judgment. This is true in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Salvation comes through judgment. And um, just as many of us uh, will have had concerns as we heard about the Lord striking all the firstborn of Egypt this morning, So many of us will have concerns about this passage too. But if we are the Lord's people, we'll want to try to learn to see things God's way. And God doesn't seem too ashamed of this. Verse 4, he says that he will gain glory for himself through Pharaoh and all his army. And so Moses sings, it seems very appropriately in chapter 15, I will sing to the Lord... For he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My Father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. And we should be wanting to sing those words too. And it's, if you want to kind of check this out a little bit more, look up Revelation 15 when you get home, okay? Revelation 15. And you can see the links to Exodus 15. But perhaps some of us are saying, yeah, I want to sing this. I want to sing this. But the Lord is a warrior. It really sounds very primitive to me. So let's have a little look at this a bit more and see why salvation through judgment is a good thing. In fact, it's not just a good thing. Have a look at verse 11. Moses says, it's a holy thing. Who is like you, majestic in holiness, 1511, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. Moses thinks this salvation displays God's holiness. Why? Well, have a look at verse 9. The enemy boasted. I will pursue, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them, I will draw my sword, and my hand will destroy them. This is what these people were saying as they rushed after the Israelites into what would become their graves. They were wanting to gorge themselves on these people. These people had a voracious appetite for other people. There are people in this world who are parasites. 
And so it is good, verse 10, that God blew with his mouth and the sea covered them. It's good that they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Tim Chester says, the men of Egypt are drowned for drowning the boys of Israel. It's true, isn't it? There's justice here. And so this salvation reveals God's glory in salvation through judgment, the Lord's glory as a man of war. I know we struggle with this, but evil is real, and it needs to be defeated. We were hit, do you remember in Exodus chapter 1, we were thinking about how that genocide was not so distant from stories around the world in this last 50 years or so. You can think of Cambodia. And so praise God that he is a holy warrior. We've got a very robust God. A God who deserves robust songs. Not a soppy and a sentimental one, but a God who's engaged in a holy war that will not end until all evil is finally buried in the depths of the sea. Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. And so, verse 29, the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. And now here we are on the other side uh, of the sea. So what's the takeaway from all of this? Well, I think the big application is, is there for us in verses 30 and 31. See with new eyes. Have a look at verse 30. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. So we've come a long way from that panic that we began with as the Israelites saw those armies of Pharaoh bearing down on them. Well, now they can't see those armies anymore. That power is at the bottom of the sea. What they've seen instead is the power of the Lord rising above them, shining like a light, opening up a way through the sea. That's what they see. And so they believe. They trust the Lord. They fear the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. The Lord's discipleship is beginning to work. He's beginning to help these people to learn to trust him again, to see with new eyes, to see what's really true, to see that actually armies and problems that seem to be bearing down on us, that seem to be surrounding us from every side, they're not really true. What's really true is the power of the Lord. And that, I suppose, raises the question for us. Well, how can we see rightly? How can we see with new eyes? Because we don't have dead Egyptians to, to look at in front of us this morning, or this evening. But what we do have is the same God. And the, the God of the New Testament, I think, actually fights for us in a very similar way to this. Did you notice as we were going through that the Lord is acting here in quite an interesting way, isn't he? We see the angel of the Lord on one hand shielding us 
from our enemies, shielding us from these Egyptians coming down upon us. And then on the other hand, we see the Spirit of God, the wind from God, opening up this way through the sea, opening up this new future. And it's interesting that God, when he wants to do this mighty act of salvation that time and time again in the Bible is recounted, God acts in this particular way. We're, We're seeing two identities, if you like, of the Lord here. As the Lord comes to save, he comes as the angel of God, the son of God, shielding us from our enemy, enemies, shielding us from the past. And we see the Spirit of God opening up this new future, a way through the sea. And so in shadowy form, this salvation is revealing God's glory as the Holy Trinity, as the God who saves us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And of course, in the Gospel, this all becomes clearer, doesn't it? We see the Son of God coming to shield us from all of our enemies through his sacrificial death, as our Passover lamb. And we see the Holy Spirit coming from the the risen Son of God, coming to give us new life, to open up a new future, to lead us towards the new creation. When we're talking about the idea of the Trinity, we're not wanting to talk about speculative ideas of God that exist away over there. We're wanting to talk about the God who saves us, and the way that he reveals himself in salvation as the God who comes in these different ways, these different persons, together, one salvation. Uh, Gregory Gregory of Nazianzus was a uh, bishop in the 4th century who was really important in getting the church clear on the doctrine of the Trinity. And it's interesting how he talked about the doctrine of the Trinity. He didn't talk about it as being an abstract kind of over here kind of a thing that's very confusing. He talked about himself as being surrounded by the Trinity. He talked about uh, several lights that seemed to be three lights and then were one light, sort of all surrounding him like, like floodlights. Or he said, I'm protected as with walls by the Trinity. He sees God as sort of surrounding him. And I was not sure whether to include this tonight, but the reason I've opted to include it and to end with it is because I think this passage, perhaps more than any other, gives us a little sense of this, doesn't it? As we see the angel of God shielding us from our enemies, we get a sense of what Jesus does for us. And as we see the Holy Spirit opening up this new future, we get a sense of what the Holy Spirit does for us. The Trinity surrounds us. God comes to save us in the gospel. Today is the day of salvation. The Exodus is not just an event in the past, although it is that, but it points forward to the new thing that God is doing. God's agenda and his action are continuing through the risen Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So as Paul says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so through him and with him be praise and authority to the Father with the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. The Lord is my strength and my song. 
He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Our Father, we thank you for this mighty act, this mighty work of salvation in the Exodus, in the crossing of the Red Sea. Lord, we praise you for this great miracle, and we praise you for how you showed these people that you are a God to be feared and to be trusted. And Father, we praise you that we have an even even mightier work to praise you for. We praise you for our Lord Jesus, your very own Son. We praise you that he was our Lamb, going to the cross, bearing our sins on his shoulders. And we praise you for your Holy Spirit, who comes to lead us into new life. Father, help us to see these things. Help us to have a sense of spiritual sight that we recognize that this is the day of your salvation, that salvation doesn't belong to the past, but opens up for us a new future with you. Help us to walk with you this week, to trust you, even when we're very scared. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray together again. Heavenly Father, we come tonight and we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you that as we meet and we gather together, we're not concerned with our own best ideas, but we long to hear from you. And we thank you that we have this evening, that you have spoken to us, your people. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us to respond well to your word, that you would help us to take the truths that we have heard and that you would plant them deep in us, that you would shape and fashion us in your likeness. Father, we pray that as a people, you would help us to trust in your agenda and not our own. And Lord, we confess that sometimes that's really hard because we look at the world around us and We struggle to make sense of things. Help us to trust you, Lord. Father, we want to pray for the people in our lives who we know are struggling, for those who are ill, for those who are having a hard time, for those looking for work, for those who just really need a lift. Father, would you be with them? Would you comfort them? And Father, we think of specific people now And we name them before you in the quiet. Father, would you comfort them and help them to trust in you? Father, as we look around the world, we want to pray for Helen in particular today. We know that she experienced another earthquake this morning that she's well but shaken up. Lord, we pray that you would be comfort to her, to those who she knows and she works with, and to all in that part of Japan. Help them to recover well. And then, Father, as we look around your world, we just have to bring Indonesia to you. Father, our hearts break whenever we see what is happening there. Our hearts break when we see how people are suffering. Father, we pray that 
governments and the aid organisations will be able to make the right decisions quickly to help as many people as possible. Father, when we are struggling, when life is hard, when things just don't make sense, help us to trust your agenda. Help us to remember your actions. Help us to remember what you have done and to trust you. Help us to see with new eyes all that you have done for us. And would that lead us, Lord, to a place of trust? Help us to remember the salvation you brought to the Israelites from Egypt. And help us, Lord, to remember the salvation you have brought to us through the Lord Jesus. So, Father, we have heard from your word. May we not leave this place unchanged, but help us this week, whatever we face, whatever we have coming up, to remember all that you've done, to trust you, and then to live lives of worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.